0: living in the Om zone. What does that even mean? Well, for me, the Om is the sound of creation, and it's a reminder when we use it that God is everywhere present, in everything and everywhere. And the Om sound is universal. We hear it in Catan chanting and in Buddhist chants and Even this morning in our nine o'clock service, it was an integral part of that. But it can be something that reminds us to come back to the moment. We don't necessarily have to be sitting on a mountain chanting Om to come back to the moment, but we can be living in the Om zone at all moments. Recently I was engaged in prayer with a prayer partner. In fact we had attended a workshop with Esther Nicholson, who I know you had here last week. And so our assignment was to join in prayer together for 40 days and at the end of our 40 days we got together for dinner because all we did when we were doing the prayer practice would call each other and pray we didn't engage in conversation so now we were close we wanted to know a little bit more about each other well I can talk the ear off a donkey <laughs> and I won't do that today <laughs> well hopefully I won't um But we had a long dinner, it went on for hours, and sharing stories, one of the things I love to do as well, sharing lots of stories about each other. And at the end of the dinner, she just looked at me and said, you live a charmed life, don't you? And I thought, was she ever listening? (laughs) (laughs) But she's right, I do live a charmed life because things happen, good and not so comfortable, but it's how we respond, we know that, right? Although, because of what I do, because of my reputation for being a meditation teacher, facilitator, leading retreats, being the keeper of the flame for the board of trustees of Unity Worldwide Ministries, nothing happens to me. I just skate through life when everybody is on the slick, you know, trying to keep their balance. That doesn't happen to me. It's as if when we are ordained, they usher us out and go, go walk on water, you're ordained now. Well, that's not true. That's not exactly what happens. Things happen all the time, but it's how you deal with it and how you come back to the present and how you resonate and vibrate in the om zone regardless. The other thing is I've come to notice in the 15 years since I've been ordained and have been speaking that when I have a subject, I get to live it before I come into the pulpit, so I had the opportunity to practice living in the Om Zone just this weekend. On Friday, I was in Denver working with uh, Unity of the Avenues. I did a presentation there on Friday evening. And yesterday, had the day off, unheard of. don't usually have Saturdays off. I'm either traveling or getting ready for, for church the next day or some event. So I was leisurely in my hotel room, just chilling out, waiting for my ride. Nothing to do. Did some Sudoku, watched a little bit of TV, and just chilled, took my time to pack, checked everything was in the bag, opened the drawers, opened the closet, everything was out. And then we got in the car and had a leisurely drive, nice chit-chat on the way. Oh, this is bliss! And I get to the um, place where I'm staying. Lovely place. Oh, my gosh, look at the view. Oh, just relax. You don't have anything to do until tomorrow. Well, if you have all this time, Paulette, you might as well prepare your clothes for tomorrow because I usually do it the morning of. I'll just iron my clothes. So I set up the ironing board and I get out the iron and I open my suitcase and I don't have my clothes for today. I left them in the hotel. I know, and you women are really resonating with me here now. <laughs> I've got my shoes, I've got my jewellery, I've got you know my toiletries and everything, but not my outfit. And I've been traveling in my leisure clothes. I can't go into the pulpit looking like that. So this is an om moment, if ever ever I've experienced one. So I took a breath. I didn't panic and, you know, rent a car and head back down to Denver. My clothes have been retrieved, that's the good news. And then I was going to be going out to dinner with Jan, uh, Bev and John. And so we made a point of stopping at the store. We had a great time, actually. Jan, if you want to know, is one of the best uh, wardrobe assistants ever. (laughs) Thank you, Jan. So we had a great time, and then I came out with an outfit. (laughs) So it happens in small things like that. But we can be in the om zone, too, when it comes to goal setting, when it comes to our dreams and desires. Sometimes we're attached to an outcome of how we think and imagine expect or want things to be. And another example of that was a few years ago when I was guided that I needed to go to Bali. Why do I need to go to Bali? I want to go to Greece. I want to go to Thailand. There are other places on my bucket list I want to go. There are spiritual places I want to visit. I want to go to Hawaii. Bali, that's not even on my radar I'm arguing with the spirit within me as I'm being told I need to go to Bali. And if I'm supposed to go to Bali, who's paying for it? <laughs> but the, the guidance kept coming. Go to Bali. It will nurture and nourish your soul. And what comes from that nurtured, nourished place will impact your ministry going forward. Okay. Well, it took a few years, two years actually, for the whole thing to come together and for me to actually get there. And I had my doubts, and I wondered if I'd made the whole thing up, but as I'd have that doubt, the next thing would happen. So it's time to go to Bali, and I have no, no plan other than I was going to go for six weeks. And I was going to be with a group for two of those the first two weeks, just so I could get a lay of the land, understand the culture a little bit, and then as they took off, I'd be on my own. Uh, managing my, my way around the island. So the tour, with the, two, the retreat with uh, the group that I went with, that all went well. We went to some lovely temples, stayed in some lovely places. And then it was time for them to leave and for me to stay. So just back backtracking a little bit, when I spoke to the group leader about places to stay in Bali, he said, don't worry about that. When you get there, we'll find you a place. There's lots of different places to stay there. And then the other thing that happened is I was on the radio sharing with my listeners with joy and excitement the way that the whole Bali experience had come together and I was actually going to be going to Bali. If you want to hear more, tune into my radio show. 2003, April time, I unpack the whole thing for you. But in that January, I told the audience how I was going to Bali. I was going to be taking six weeks off and isn't this exciting? And guess what? We even have a prayer intention for our our prayer um, segment this week that comes from Indonesia. Who would have thought? So we prayed with the uh, listener from Indonesia. And when I came home, I got an email saying, I'm not just in Indonesia, I'm in Bali. And she said, you are so welcome to come and stay here when you get to Bali. Well, in my mind, I'm having this memory of being on a six-week retreat 40-day retreat back in 2001 where I went off into the mountain, not into the mountains, into the prairies in a hut and spent six weeks by myself in silence. And I knew I wasn't going to be in silence in Bali, but it was that kind of retreat. I was going to be by myself. It was going to be all holy and mystical and angels singing and, you know, I will understand the universe and I will bring it forth because I'm being told to go to Bali. So I said, thank you very much for the offer to stay at your house, but it's not really that kind of retreat. I think I need to be by myself, but I will definitely come and visit, and we can pray together. So now, my group is leaving. Two days before they leave, I have nowhere to stay. Because I kept looking for the retreat center and the retreat place that was similar to where I was in 2001. That kind of reclusive outside by myself experience where I still have people around to support me if I needed it but I couldn't find it and when they did show me something similar it didn't resonate that wasn't it that wasn't it and I'm trying to build and create this retreat in my mind that it should be this is how a retreat is this is what one does on retreat and that's not it so then I was in a situation where I was going to be homeless in Bali if I didn't do something. So I called our listener, who has now been dubbed the Bali Angel, and um, said, you know that invitation you gave me to stay? I'd like to take you up on it. And she said, sure, come, you can stay as long as you like. But as it turned out, I didn't actually stay the entire time there, but she was instrumental, a catalyst for the way the trip unfolded, which is why, as I said, she's been called the Bali Angel. And while I was in her house, I woke up the first morning and I heard this meditation being blared all over her house. It was me. (laughs) She was listening to me out loud and that was kind of strange. And then um, she did her utmost to take care of me. And the point I also need to make is that she was very unwell. She had a, a severe neurological Condition that had her bedridden, and the whole time I was, I was there, her whole thought was on me and how to take care of me and what I would need. Bringing people in to to cook for me, to give me a massage, to take care of me. And I said to her at one point, "I really appreciate what you're doing, but you know, you could focus on your. You're so." You're in such discomfort, if you just focus on taking care of yourself, I'm self-sufficient, I'll be fine. And she said, no, Reverend Paulette, I need to do this for you. I need to nurture you and take care of you so that when you go back, you can serve from that nurtured place which was the guidance that I had been given. So she um, did incredible things, arranged for me to stay with different people on the island. It was my birthday while I was going to be there, so she arranged for me to go off to a retreat center and spend two days in the mountains and a retreat. Just incredible synchronicities. And one of the places I stayed in Ubud, which is like the spiritual center in, in Bali, we had gone there with the tour group, and I didn't like it, and I said I wasn't going back. But when I went back on my own... Loved it. Everything unfolded perfectly. It was a different retreat. And one of the things that happened was I was having these massages at these different places because it was so inexpensive. You could have a massage for, I don't know, $27 or something. And they were 90 minutes, and they were deep, and they were fragrant, and they were lovely. And one of the massages I had, I went in. This This was one of the first ones I had before I realized... Uh, This was the norm. And I went in, and unlike the West, you are uh, unrobed. (laughs) So I'm lying on the massage bed, waiting for her to cover me up, because I am naked as the day I was born, lying on the bed, feeling really vulnerable and exposed, and, you know, like waiting, as I say, for her to cover me up before she started. And she didn't. And so I was tense and I couldn't let go. We don't do this at home. We, we, you know, Everything's covered from here to there. And they massage, you take your arm out and massage it, take your other arm out and massage it. But no, she was giving me a gift. She treated my body like I was a goddess, like I was a gift from God that had been handed to her and she needed to take such care of it. And so I began to relax as she massaged and did what she did. And then she ran a bath for me and put lemongrass petals in it, and fragrances, and put me in the bath and bathed my skin. And I started to weep because of the nurturing care. You know, I'm the one that's usually in the giving position. I'm the one that's usually leading and facilitating, taking care of others, and worrying about others, and being concerned for their life, and their soul, and their spirit in conjunction with spirit. And here was someone giving me this gift, asking nothing in return. And then she, well, I'm sitting there weeping, and she's really worried that she's hurt me in some way or something's not right. I was like, no, (laughs) this is just so lovely to be taken care of. And then she takes me out of the bath and towel dries me and then lotions my skin. And that's when I heard the voice again, you will go to Bali and allow yourself to be nurtured and nourished. And what you give will come from that place. What you do next in ministry will come from that nurtured place. And that was the retreat. That was the retreat I nearly shut the door on because when I couldn't find anywhere to live, I was going to go back with the group. I was going to return home. Because I had in my head a whole different idea. But when I trusted, when I let go, when I allowed spirit and aligned with the vibration of spirit that would align and secure me that place in consciousness where I could receive, where I could be blessed, where I could receive benefit, it was a different outcome. How often do we have goals and dreams, and we have in our mind a fixed idea of what it should look like, feel like, how it should unfold, and we get in the way of spirit, we get in the way of the universe, which is trying to find a path to give us something greater than we ever asked or imagined, this or something better. I want to share with you a reading from the book As Far As The Heart Can See by Mark Nepo about how things just show up and can change the course of everything. It may not look or feel like we expected, but it was a blessing in that moment that would change us. It's called The Cyclist. On the day of the race... He waited with the others and felt that life was waiting in the hills. He couldn't quite say why, but a blessing was about to happen. As the gun went off, he could hear the rush of all the racers breathing, like young horses in the morning. He had trained for months, up and down the sloping hills, cutting off seconds by wearing less and leaning into curves. His legs were shanks of muscle. He often said... It's the closest thing to flying, I know. On the second hill, the line thinned, and he was near the front. They were slipping through the land like the arcs of light riding through the veins of the world. By now, he was in the lead. As he swept toward the wetlands, he was gaining time when a great blue heron took off right in front of him its massive, timeless wings opening just in front of the handlebars. Its shadow covered him and seemed to open something in him, something he'd been chasing. The others were pumping closer, but he just stopped and stood there, straddling his bike, staring at what the great blue had opened by cutting through the sky. In years to come, others would ask, what cost you the race? Wherever he was, he would look south, and once in a while he'd say, I didn't lose the race, I left it. I'd like to just offer you very quickly... Save you thousands of dollars and a trip halfway around the world. (laughs) Some key things that I learned about living in the Om Zone that came as a result of that Bali experience, especially, and last night. (laughs) We need to be willing to experience a different outcome be not attached to what we have in our mind or our heart, whether we're investing time or energy or or money, effort, into a situation, a relationship, a dream or a goal. It may not turn out how we expect, but if we allow and keep space for spirit by being conscious in the present moment in the zone, it will turn out beautifully every time. The other thing is, be willing to appreciate the sacred in everything. That bath, that ritual, was sacred. And I found out after, when I got home, it's the same bath they do for uh, royal weddings when they're preparing the bride for a royal wedding. Just, just saying. <laughs> but I had to be open to receive. You know, if I'd got all self-conscious said, could you please just throw that uh, sari on me and just cover me up, I'd be much more comfortable. I might have missed the gift. But I had to be open and vulnerable and willing to receive. Willing to find the sacred in everything, even someone nurturing me like a newborn child. And I know you know this, so I'm really speaking to myself, so just bear with me while I have this conversation. (laughs) You need to maintain your spiritual practice. When things are challenging us, when things are not working out how we thought they would in terms of the plan that we have in mind, or we're just challenged by life filled with grief or opportunities seem to be dis- disintegrating in front of our eyes, we take our hands off the wheel, we take our hands off the prayer wheel, and we say, can't do it right now, I don't have time, my mind's not on it, I can't focus, my mind keeps racing when I try to meditate... I have other things to do that are more important right now. I'll come back to it later. Remember, I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> this is the time, if you feel like you can't focus, if you feel like you don't have time, this is the time to not only have a practice, but increase the time that you have in it. Find yourself in the OM zone with spirit. In the present moment is what we're talking about. In the place of creativity where something grand can be created out of this experience. And then you'll have the courage and the fortitude to move forward. Because you'll find that instead of standing on unbalanced moving ground, you are actually standing on the solid ground of faith. And that will propel you forward to the great gift, blessings, and opportunities that are awaiting you. The next step on the way. The other thing is be willing to forgive. And nothing catapults you into the om zone like forgiveness. And I know, again, this is one that really gets on our nerves. Not more forgiveness done that, and not another talk about forgiveness, not another workshop about forgiveness, that book, Forgiveness Again, it's a practice, like we have a gratitude practice, like we spend the time at the end of the day finding five things to be grateful for, or being filled with great fullness, forgiveness is a practice, Charles Fillmore talked about at the end of the day, stopping to go through your mind and anything you need to forgive and let go, and Iyanla Levanzant says this in one of her recent books, If you know anything about my life story, you know that I have been to some very dark places. Through every experience of my life breakdown, the only thing that made me feel as if I was still in possession of my right mind, with the capacity to make it through the darkness, was forgiveness. Even when I didn't know whom to forgive, why I should forgive, I said the words... I wrote them in my journal. I cried and screamed and pouted, and sometimes I even stamped my feet in resistance. But at the end, I learned to forgive everyone for everything, including myself. In the process, I discovered something extraordinary. I discovered peace. And be willing to open to the lessons, which is entirely what we've been talking about this time. Be open to the lessons, be open to the gift, the blessings and the opportunities that you cannot necessarily see with your physical eye. Open my eyes that I might see the visions of truth and blessings you have for me. Open my ears and let me hear beyond the hearing of the world, but hear with the heart the truth you have for me. And as the wave notes, as that old hymn says, as the wave notes fall on my ears, everything false will disappear. Silently now... I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes, my ears, my heart, my mouth. Illumine me, spirit divine. And where will that illumination come from? The present moment and being in the om zone. Om. Namaste.